Amen. Now, after that, you'll never want to come back up again. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. All right, take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy with me tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 4, we'll get started. Fifteen years ago, one of my favorite professors wrote an article for today's Christian preacher. And uh, <coughs> in that article, he talks about principles of personal self-discipline. And uh, this is an area that I feel strongly that I need in my own life. Uh, probably the only time I was ever forced into discipline was the military. And a lot of my disciplines outside of the military have been kind of a free will thing. If I want to behave, I behave. If I want to work hard, I work hard, that type of thing. But I do think it's important as believers that we learn to practice some self-discipline. And, you know, one of our big goals as pastors in the morning service is to improve and increase the evening services. And that takes discipline. I mean, it, uh, some people just had, do not have the discipline habit of going to church regularly on Sunday night and Wednesday night, but that's certainly a goal of ours because we realize that I believe there's 168 hours in a week, and if you go to church three times, that leaves the devil 165 hours to throw stuff at you that is not in the Bible. And so we have very, very little time to really share the Word of God, and we'd like to increase that as much as we can. Plus, we believe the verse in Hebrews where it says that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We know that in the last days, things are going to wax worse and worse. We should be having more services, really, because all of us need more of the Word of God. Dr. Mack writes this. He says, without a doubt, this is the age of indulgence and indiscipline. Indulgence and indiscipline, meaning no disciplines. Adam's race seems to be constitutionally incapable of saying no to itself. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, our race has become increasingly self-indulgent. Deny me nothing, give me everything, and give it to me right now. As a result, we have unmarried parents, unfaithful partners, and even undisciplined politicians who find it difficult to say no to their amorous adventures. Untold millions in America remain enslaved to cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, gambling, and high-calorie foods. Ouch, that one, that one hurts a little bit, okay? In spite of all that is already known about cancer, heart disease, and emphysema, uh, we, in many cases, know better. We just have to learn to do better. And to do that takes a little, and sometimes a lot, of self-discipline. So I, I found this challenge very helpful for me personally, and I hope it will be helpful for you. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7. We're going to talk tonight about our personal need for discipline. Our personal, personal need for discipline. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 7 says this, but refuse profane and old wives' fables. This is, of course, Paul's challenge to Timothy as a young preacher to live right and do right. And he says, refuse profane and old wives' fables. And then he says, and exercise thyself or discipline thyself rather unto godliness. Okay? And uh, we know that godliness 
is profitable in all areas of our life. And to have godliness takes a little discipline. Now, I do want to echo at this time that biblical discipline is not legalism. Biblical discipline is simply appreciating God for all that he's done and showing some gratitude with our daily practices. It's not legalism. Legalism is when you do something to get saved. Uh, Spiritual disciplines are part of our just maturing in the Lord and growing in grace. I want to make that very clear. Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the privilege we have to be in your house tonight. Thank you for these good people that have made it out. Lord, they could have stayed home and slept, taken a nap, watched television, checked in on the basketball scores, but they decided to come to church tonight. And Lord, it would be a shame if they went home without a blessing. So we pray for your Holy Spirit's power tonight as I share these truths. I trust these truths will be helpful. I trust these truths will be a challenge to every person that's here tonight. And I trust, Lord, that when we leave church, we'll be uh, determined in our own mind to practice some spiritual disciplines, not for our benefit and our own egos, but for your glory. So help us tonight, and we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, up on top of your papers there, our need for personal, personal need for discipline, I, you see the little word quiz there? That means that I've shared this in a Sunday school class before, and when I have a Sunday school class, I always ask a couple of questions. I won't ask for your answers because we're on tape right now, but uh, I usually ask for a definition of discipline. How would you define discipline? It's interesting that the word disciple is really a part of that word discipline. And the disciples, you know, the 12 the Lord worked with, I've often thought it was amazing that he could have worked with 500. He could have worked with 5,000. In fact, with a couple of miracles, he did work with several hundred. But for some reason, he chose 12 men so that he could spend time with them and teach them some disciplines. So one of the questions I would ask is, uh, how would you define discipline if you were writing a dictionary? Second question I would ask is, who disciplines you? You say, well, pastor, you're 70 years old. Nobody disciplines you. Hey, look, I have a wife, okay? And where there's a wife, there's there's a need to be disciplined, okay? Uh, I have children who sometimes discipline me. Uh, they do it in a strange and bizarre way, and I'm not going to tell you right now how they do that because i got a couple that will probably try it on me. But uh, I have learned some disciplines from children. And then the third quiz question would be, who do you discipline? Now, by your manner of living and by your life, who is taking note of your disciplines? Who is watching you every time you go to church? Who is watching you when you sit still and take notes? Who is watching you when you're playing the piano? And, and, you know, these are disciplines that you have, and somebody has got their eyes on you, because we're all a hero to somebody. Some of us are zeros to somebody, but we're all heroes to somebody out there is interested in our disciplines. Well, let's start with some definitions. Now, these aren't the only definitions, but these are definitions that I think are worth looking at. Number one on your papers, discipline is saying no to the things that hurt us. In other words, saying no to that which is wrong. I think I've mentioned more than once, when I go home to visit my relatives, the first thing they do is they take a beer out of their refrigerators and say, and say, would you like a beer? 
Well, I'm, I'm an adult. I could say yes. But I simply say no. No thanks. I, those things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. And it takes a discipline to say no sometimes. But discipline defined is saying no to the things that hurt us. We're stewards of our own body, and we shouldn't be putting in poisons and toxins that hurt us. It's just a basic rule. Secondly, discipline probably includes saying yes to the things that help us. Church helps us grow spiritually, so we should say, yeah, I'm going to church. Reading our Bible helps us. Yeah, yeah, I need to get in the habit of, I need to get the discipline of reading my Bible. Saying yes to the things that help us. Or to saying yes to the things that are right. So it takes some discipline to say no, no, no. And it also takes some discipline to say, yes, this is helpful, I will do this. Thirdly, we must, inc we must include and insist on hard right things. Hard right things in our practice of biblical discipline. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, sometimes it's hard to do the right thing. I think the most pressure I got in my life for doing the wrong thing was when I was a teenager. Peer pressure is relentless when it comes to destroying young people and even old people. We have a tendency to want to be liked by our friends. And when our friends try to get us to do something wrong, we have to learn to do the hard, right thing. That's what pleases the Lord. And that takes some discipline. Paul knew that, and he was expressing that to Timothy here. Number four, without biblical disciplines, we become isolated. Without biblical disciplines, we become isolated. Secondly, we become indifferent. We become indifferent. And most importantly, we become ineffective. We become isolated, indifferent, and ineffective in our Christian witness. The devil wins at silencing our testimony. He isolates us. He makes us look peculiar and weird to the rest of the world. And he renders us ineffective without biblical disciplines. So let me give you some truths here. Roman number one. We're going to look at the biblical mandate. The biblical mandate. And we've already read that, 1 Timothy 4, 7. Exercise thyself, rather, unto godliness. That's the mandate. That's the order from God to us. Exercise yourself unto godliness. That's the mandate. Roman numeral 2, we're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And I'll show you some metaphors or some pictures from God regarding this area of personal disciplines. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we have the historical metaphors. M-E-T-A-P-H-O-R-S. I spelled that for the sake of the young people that are taking notes. Because you old people, you know how to spell. I didn't have to do it for you. First of all, in verse 1 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, we have the picture of a steward. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. A steward 
is one who mani manages the property of others. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul challenges Timothy to be strong in grace. To be a good steward of the grace that God gives you. Remember the plaque I told you about on Wednesday night? We live by grace, not by perfection. Now, all of us want to be perfect and we want to be right whenever we present ourselves or whenever we speak or whenever we witness. We want to be right, but we don't live by perfection. There's only one perfect one, and that's our Lord. We live by grace. And Paul is teaching Timothy here to use the grace that God has given him wisely. Be a good steward of the grace. And so Paul was challenging Timothy to be a good manager as he's a good steward. The second picture we get in verses 3 and 4 is that of a soldier. Well, since I read verse 1, let me include verse 2 here. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Timothy, be a good steward of that information. Give it to other faithful men. And then in verse 3, he says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. That's our second metaphor. That's letter B. And what does a soldier do fundamentally? He protects. No man that warreth. Uh, verse number 3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If we're going to have some biblical disciplines, we live rightly and do hard right things because it protects our ourselves. It protects our church. If we had a church full of undisciplined people, we could just as well have a circus or a zoo. It takes some disciplines. And it takes some protection from the outside, and that's what a soldier does. That's what a soldier's fundamental job is, is one of protection. And so the picture of Stewards is given, and the picture of soldiers is given. And then we have the picture of an athlete. Look at verse 5. And an athlete is somebody who strives. Verse number 5. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. And I believe this is a picture to all the athletes that struggle so hard, and they discipline their bodies, and they discipline their muscles, and they discipline their skills, so they can win a gold medal. You're not going to win a gold medal if you don't exercise, if you don't work over and above uh, what everybody else is trying to do. Uh, I've heard, by way of the grapevine, that to be a professional football player in the NFL, the chances in Minnesota of becoming a professional football player are one in a million. And that one in a million is the individual who's willing to work and exercise and strive for masteries in that area that he's trying to develop. And so Paul gives to Timothy the picture of an athlete. So if you're going to be a good soldier, if you're going to be a good athlete, you need to strive to, to handle the Word of God appropriately and rightly. And you need to strive lawfully, he says, in verse number 5. And then the fourth picture he gives is that of a farmer. And a farmer, of course, is somebody who works and and works hard. The husbandman, verse 6, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. 
Now, I don't know of many famous farmers, but I, knew, know, I do know that our country would be in a real pickle without them. And farmers are the kind of people that are usually not in the spotlight. They're in the fields getting their hands dirty. They're in the barn getting their hands dirty. They work hard. And uh, believers ought to be a combination of these pictures. We ought to be stewards that manage God's, God's gifts to us well. We ought to be soldiers willing to protect our families and our churches. We ought to be athletes and striving for masteries in these areas where we practice our Christian disciplines. And we ought to work hard like a farmer. We ought to get up at the crack of dawn and go to bed early so we can be rested up for the next day. And those are the metaphors that Paul gives. And then we see the personal manifestation. This is Roman numeral 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's start in verse 14. There's eight of them here. And these are things we need to work on daily for you and I to increase our personal disciplines. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, and I'll remind you that brethren is not just the people of the brothers of 2,000 years ago. The brethren there is a reference to anybody that's a believer. Now we exhort you, fellow Christian, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, and be patient. That's number one. Be patient toward all men. <coughs> now patience towards everybody means that we have to be trainable or teachable when somebody else is talking. But it also means that we are to be talking and teaching others who need instruction. I think pastors mentioned more than once that we should always be being mentored and we should always be mentoring somebody. There's always, there's always somebody who knows a little less than you that needs your help. And there's usually somebody who knows a little more than you and you could use their help. We need to be trainable and we need to be patient especially to manifest a personal discipline. And the second personal discipline is goodness. We need to be good. Look at verse 15. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, the text says, both among yourselves and to all men. See, the Christian doesn't have the responsibility just to be good to Christians. The Christian has the responsibility to be good to all men. This is one of the doctrines that differ, differentiate us from the rest of the religions in the world. We are the only religion that is taught with strong emphasis to love our enemies. You say, well, how do you do that? It's not easy. It's not easy when people wrong me I get in the flesh, I want to bop them in the nose or drive over their poodle. I don't want to be nice to them. But the Word of God teaches me that I need to be good. And I need to work at being good. And I need to be, I need to be likable so that others can see Christ in my life and testimony. So we need to be patient. 
We need to be good. Thirdly, we need to be joyful. Look at verse 16. Rejoice evermore. The idea there is just be happy. Be content. Be joyful. I think it was Spurgeon was asked one time, he was challenged to go find a happy old man. And he said he had to interview about six men before he found one that was happy. Because old, most old men get grumpy and grumpier. Now, I don't want the ladies to say amen there. But uh, it does happen as you age that your body hurts. And when your body hurts, you may not be grumpy in public, but you can be grumpy in private. And you need to be very, very careful with that because your wife and your children and your grandchildren are, are watching you. They want to see if you're a joyful, happy Christian or if you're one that really is gloomy and sad and the only time you smile is when you go to church. They're looking for that. And so the Word of God says rejoice evermore. It's interesting that in verses 15, or 16, 17, and 18, at the end of verse 18, it says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's God's will in your life and my life that we be happy and we be joyful. Number four, we need to be prayerful. That's verse 17. Be prayerful. In other words, communicate. Communicate ver vertically with the Lord on a regular basis and you'll, you'll know how to communicate horizontally with others. I read this week that if you're unable to communicate with others, you don't understand love. Pretty serious challenge. But communication is, is very, very important, and that's what prayer is. Prayer is you and I communicating with the Holy God. And then when the Lord instructs us to do things, we communicate that to others. We speak the truth in love, the Bible teaches. So if we're going to be disciplined in our Christian walk, we need to be patient, we need to be good, we need to be joyful, we need to be prayerful. Verse 18, we need to be thankful. And that's, that simply trans, translates and includes kindness. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything. I mean, the last year during this COVID stuff, We've had a lot of people that lost their gratitude. And it, it's hard to be kind and to be thankful when everybody is looking at you like you're a Republican or you're a Democrat. It, it's difficult sometimes to be thankful. But it's important that we practice gratitude and kindness. Rejoice evermore, verse 16. Pray without ceasing, verse 17. And everything give thanks, verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Who's the you? Uh, that's the brethren mentioned in verse number 14. Now we exhort you, brethren. Do these things because they are the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In verse 19, we see the sixth characteristic of personal manifestation from disciplining ourselves in the Lord. And that is to be spiritful. To be spiritful. And that's Holy Spirit fullness. You say, well, what's Holy Spirit fullness anyway? What does that look like? Well, it doesn't look like some of the things I've seen on television. That's not, that's spirit foolishness. Spirit fullness is when the joy and confidence you have in Jesus is so rich and full that it spills over. I think it was in Psalm 23 this morning. My cup runneth over. A running over of God's goodness is really spirit fullness. 
you should be content and happy like Paul, even in prison. You should be content and happy uh, like the martyrs in Fox's Book of Martyrs facing a burning at the cross. Is it easy to do? No, it's hard to do. It takes discipline to do that. But with God, all things are possible. So he wants us to have these disciplines. We need to work at them. Be patient, be good, be joyful, be prayerful, be thankful, be spiritful, Holy Spirit filled. And then look at the seventh one here, verse 20. Be biblical. Be accurate. Despise not prophesying. In other words, be accurate with the Word of God as the Word of God has given you to share with others. Be biblical. A lot of people that are lost, they approach me and they say, what, what kind of Christian are you? <coughs> and they'll usually go through the list of denominations. Are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Methodist? Are you a Baptist? Are you a Lutheran? What are you? And I always tell them, I say, well, I'm trying my dead level best to be a Biblicist. I want to be as biblical as I possibly can be. And if I could find a church in Brookings that offered more of the Bible than I'm getting here, I would go there. I wouldn't stay here, but I feel that I'm getting good, solid, biblical training through this church. And that's important to me. Because that means I have a desire to be accurate in not only receiving and understanding the Word of God, but also in sharing it with others. And then number eight, I need to be careful. <clears throat> Look at verses 21 and 22. Prove all things, Paul writes. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And that means to be careful. And, and being careful is really being wise. And being discerning. And uh, that we're living in a day and age where we need to be wise and we need to be discerning. Because if, we, if we're not, then we're... Uh, manifesting undisciplines. And we don't want that. We want the opposite. So we saw the mandate in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and, and that was to live for the Lord and to uh, live wisely. The metaphors in 2 Timothy 2, the picture of a steward, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. I forgot to mention that little key there right underneath the historical metaphors. Active discipline is not legalism, but it is exhortation of God. We're exhorting God, we're complimenting God, we're showing gratitude towards God every time we practice biblical discipline. When you practice a biblical discipline, you're saying, thank you, Lord, you're right, I need to do this. Because really, that's, that's what Christians are, we're, we're grateful. We, we do things that are sometimes hard and difficult, not out of legalism, but simply out of love. We love the Lord, and that's why we do it. Gratitude. And in the manifestation, the disciplines, we see the need to be patient, verse 14, to be good, verse 15, to be joyful, verse 16, to be prayerful, and verse 17, to be thankful, in verse 18, spirit-filled, verse 19, be biblical, in verse 20, and to be careful, in verses 21 and 22. In the application, we also see at the end here, in chapter 5, starting in verse number 23. Here's the application. 
if we will do these disciplines, if we will purpose in our heart to try to reach for these disciplines, it says the very God of peace will sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. And then he says, brethren, pray for us. So, Paul, in writing to these believers at Thessalonica, he was saying, look, we're struggling with, this, with these disciplines, and we're pretty certain you're going to struggle with these disciplines, so let's pray for one another. Let's pray for each other that we will be disciplined disciples of Christ. Uh, not always easy, but always the right thing to do. With God, at the, at the bottom there, with God, biblical discipline is possible. And one of our first disciplines is found in James 4.8, where the Bible teaches, if we draw nigh to Him, He will draw near to us. That's really our first discipline. As we draw nigh to the Lord, we sit down and open our Bibles, He draws nigh to us. When we draw nigh to the Lord by attending a church service where the Word of God is preached, He draws near to us. He gives us the discipline, the challenge first, and then He responds with His grace and His goodness. And that's my lesson for this evening. And I hope it was helpful to you. If you really, really love the outline, send a note to my professor. He'll, he'll get, he gets credit for the outline. You could read the whole article in about three minutes, but I had to throw in some editorial comments in finishing this up. If you're glad you came to church tonight, say amen. If you learned something, say amen. Okay, now if you didn't learn anything, you're not glad you